This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. This marks our final show of the year 2010. And for it, we shall try to hear from some of our old pals, and maybe some new pals as well. But although this is another year in the can, as it were, we like to start this program and look back at this date in history. So we shall do that. The date in question is the 30th of December. It was on December 30th in 1853 that James Gadsden, the U.S. Minister to Mexico, and General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, the Mexican president, signed the Gadsden Purchase in Mexico. The treaty settled the dispute over the location of the Mexican border west of El Paso and established the final boundaries of the lower 48 states. And yes, this was the same President Santa Ana of Alamo fame. In the War for Independence for Texas, he was at one point captured, but the wily Texans had the good sense to give him back to Mexico. He's widely considered to be one of the worst generals in history, which says a lot. The truth is, I'm not sure he was much better as president. On December 30th in 1916, Rasputin, the Mad Monk, was assassinated by two relatives of Tsar Nicholas II. Rasputin had exercised considerable influence over the Tsarina. He was shot and beaten after poison failed to kill him. I remember back in the 1960s when some of the people that were in on the assassination of Rasputin, now old men, told of how it went down. They apparently fed him enough poison to kill a horse. When that didn't work, they beat him. When that didn't work, they shot him. Then apparently they threw him in the icy river. Apparently autopsy showed he was still alive when he got into the cold water. And speaking of Russia, it was six years later on this date, December 30th in 1922, that the Soviet Union was established. The USSR comprised a confederation of Russia, Belarus, the Ukraine, and the Transcaucasian Federation. The new communist state of the Soviet Union was the successor to the Russian Empire and the first country in the world to be based on Marxist socialism. All levels of government were controlled by the Communist Party and the party's Politburo, with its increasingly powerful general secretary, effectively ruled the country until 1991 when the USSR collapsed. Based on this correspondence experience in communist countries, I'd say the only reason it lasted that long was due to massive corruption and cheating. Of course, you'd never have known that by the intelligence estimates uh, from the 1970s and 80s, with, including the astute observations of people like our current Defense Secretary, Robert Gates, and former President George Herbert Walker Bush, who insisted that the Soviet Union was very strong and needed a huge U.S. military response to combat it. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, was BS. And very, very expensive BS at that. And it might be a good time at this point to remind you that the opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. Nevertheless, it was BS, and you can take that to the bank. December 30th was a red-letter day in science. It was on this date in 1924 that the American astronomer Edwin Hubble announced the existence of another galaxy in addition to the Milky Way. Until then, this is hard to believe now, but until then, astronomers were not certain whether the Milky Way represented the only galaxy, in other words, the entire universe. 
Hubble took a look at our neighboring Andromeda galaxy and said, no, that's one just like us. This is really hard to imagine. We now, we now think of galaxies spread throughout the universe, those giant pinwheels or, or clouds of stars that stretch, well, in the case of our own Milky Way, 100,000 light years across. You know, it's really a shame, Mr. McMillan, that people living in uh, the modern era don't really get a chance to see the Milky Way as it spreads out in a summer or winter night, like we did uh, uh, not so long ago. The ubiquitous and wasteful uh, lighting of our cities and even countryside uh, are responsible for this loss. But I highly recommend, dear listener, that you sometime uh, find a way to get away from it all, up in the hills and the Sierra and the mountains, perhaps, where you can really get a chance to see the stunning spectacle of the Milky Way spread on the night sky. And Shades of Edwin Hubble, if you can find uh, the constellation Andromeda in a very, very clear spot, you'll see another little fuzzy patch that... Uh, Reminds you of the Milky Way. In a truly dark area, it can, it can look as large as the full moon. Of course, much dimmer. And that is our neighboring galaxy, the Andromeda. Listeners below the equator, of course, can go out and uh, spot another satellite galaxy quite easily. These are the Magellanic Clouds. First noted by the intrepid Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan in his round-the-world voyage. These galaxies are, in fact, satellites that orbit around our own Milky Way. Just as when you look at a picture of the, uh, the Andromeda galaxy, it has a couple of galaxies, uh, little dwarf galaxies, orbiting around it as well. Very common phenomenon. And on December 30th in 1965, Philippine Senate President Ferdinand Marcos was inaugurated President of the Nation. The Marcos regime would span 20 years and become increasingly authoritarian and corrupt. Ferdinand Marcos was eventually indicted by the United States on charges of embezzling billions of dollars from the Philippine economy. Be that as it may, his wife is back in the Philippines and his family is still very wealthy and quite influential in Filipino politics. And finally, it's worth noting that it was on this date in 1879 that the Gilbert and Sullivan comic opera, The Pirates of Penzance, premiered in the town of Pankton in Devon, England. And we probably should go out with a fine clip from that, Mr. McMillan. I am the very model of a modern major general. I'm information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England and the quirks of historical. From marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I'm very well acquainted to it. Matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. All right, our quote of the day comes from Julius Caesar, who once said, Experience is the teacher of all things. Quote of the day comes from Dudley Moore, who once said, the best car safety device is a rearview mirror with a cop in it. And for our jokes today, we'd like to thank Mike, who sent us in a list of home remedies. And we'll do a few of these. How about the fact that, uh, you know, you really only need two tools in life, WD-40 and duct tape. If something doesn't move and should, use WD-40. If it shouldn't move and does, use duct tape. And a loaded mousetrap placed on top of your alarm clock that will prevent you from rolling over and going back to sleep after you've hit the snooze button. Here's one for high blood pressure sufferers. Simply cut yourself and bleed for a few minutes. This reduces the pressure on your veins. But remember, use a timer. If you want to make sure that you can avoid cutting yourself when you're slicing vegetables, one thing you can do is get someone else to hold the vegetables while you do the chopping. And my personal favorite... Good way to avoid arguments with the females of the household about lifting the toilet seat is to simply use the sink. 
Anyway, Michael, thank you for those. And if you, dear listener, have a lot of jokes or any other things you'd like to send, don't be shy about uh, dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com. If we like your joke, and we often do, we're going to use it. Our stat of the day, and this is one of the strangest ones we've ever used, is that for 18 minutes last April, 15% of the world's internet traffic was mysteriously redirected through China. That includes movement through U.S. military and government websites, according to a congressional panel. A state-owned Chinese telecommunications company rerouted the traffic for reasons that remain unknown. Boy, if you know something about that story, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. That's a weird one. Also from that part of the world, and weird, how about this one? According to cables released by WikiLeaks, North Korea asked the U.S. to arrange a concert by Eric Clapton to take place in Pyongyang as a way of building goodwill between the U.S. and North Korea. You would think that a country that isn't able to buy enough rice to feed itself or grow it uh, wouldn't be thinking about rock concerts. Then you wouldn't be factoring in that wild man's crazy antics, Kim Jong-il. Who knew he was a Clapton fan? Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for your ears after Congress passed the Commercial Advertisement Loudness Mitigation Act, which forbids TV advertisers from abruptly raising the volume to startling levels during commercial breaks. And yes, I'm sure this one did require an act of Congress. And it was a bad week some weeks back for public relations spinning After Carlos Flores, age 36 of New York, rescued an elderly man who had fallen onto the subway tracks. Quite a valiant act, you're thinking. But uh, Carlos kind of fell down in the PR department when he told people, I was thinking, if he gets hit and I can't go to work, it's Sunday, it's a time and a half day. Well, I'm glad the old boy didn't take a tumble on a Thursday or on a Carlos's day off. And it was also a bad week for Public Relations Part 2 a few weeks back when it was revealed that a St. Paul, Minnesota sports bar had agreed to suspend its Drink Like an Indian promotion. Apparently, the bar had distributed flyers showing a cowboy and a busty female Indian slumped together in a drunken stupor. Kathy Dickerson, a member of the Kiowa tribe, said the promotion, quote, just didn't seem right, unquote, and objected to the image of a woman in skimpy, Pocahontas garb, said Dickerson. We don't dress like that. Finally, it was an ugly week a few weeks back for modern art. In this case, perhaps too much minimalism in modern art. After Polish artist Angeleska Current won a $2,338 grant from the British government for an art show that consisted of, quote, a painting that hasn't been painted yet, unquote, an invisible sculpture, in quotes, and, quote, a movie shot with no film in the camera, unquote. We at Radio Parallax would like to point out to the British government that if you have any other such grants you're willing to put out, 
We are confident we can meet these artistic standards. All right, we said at the top of the show we'd have some input from some old pals, and uh, joining us now is our old pal Matt Perry. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Matt. Hi, Douglas. How's it going? <laughs> you know, while I was gone for several weeks, uh, in fact, I think probably the day that I left, you were hosting an event, a big event here, kind of a knockoff of the Gridiron Club thing they have in, in Washington, D.C. It was, and I'd never heard of it before, but yes, we threw a big event for 525 leading figures uh, called the Gridiron Event. Sacramento Press Club put this on, uh, took place on December 1st, and it was a huge success. Well, tell me about that. I guess the governor did attend. Yeah, we hired, well, when I say we, I mean the members of the Sacramento Press Club hired his event planner, Carl Bendix, which was one way of making sure that Arnold showed up. And so, yeah, we threw a big party and everybody showed up. What, what do you want to know about this? <laughs> Before I left, you were you were you and actor John Alston were, were going over some of the, the clips. I did see some of that. And you had a you had a pretty credible uh, Arnold impersonator. Yes, Lyndall Grant, and going to give a shout-out to Lyndall to make sure he gets his props. He was actually in Missouri at the time. We found him. My casting director found him, but he had just literally left from San Francisco to move out to Missouri to take care of his mother, and he actually came back early, flew from Missouri to San Francisco and then came to Sacramento just to do our videos. We did a video spoof of Undercover Boss called Undercover Governor. Well, that was one of the hits of the show. And also came back the night of the event and performed in a short skit called The Complete Works of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is based on The Complete Works of uh, William Shakespeare, if you've seen that play. This is on the web somewhere if someone wants to check this out? Yes, if you can go to Vimeo and V-I-M-E-O, sort of a high, higher-end YouTube, and look up Sacramento Press Club Gridiron Event 2010, and you can see it in its entirety. Also, go to Vimeo and look under Undercover Governor, and you'll find the three videos that we produced. And uh, I understand that loaning some of his uh, comedy talents to this endeavor was our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Your good pal, and now my good pal, because we bonded. <laughs> he was a great guy. Uh, everybody, and I mean this, everybody loved Will. It's really funny because I think in the comedy world, there is a reputation for comedians that can sometimes be edgy and obnoxious and annoying. Will Durst was one of the kindest, sweetest, most genuine, and very funny men I have ever met. And everybody loved working with him. No ego. And the funny part is that when the show started, we had a couple of events that happened sort of to get people seated. First, we had our Arnold impersonator, Lyndall Grant, dressed up as the Terminator uh, in a video welcoming everybody to the event, sort of trying to get everybody to, you know, it's sort of this, hey, hey, there's a video playing, everybody, it's time to sit down, right? Well, people didn't sit down. Sacramento Press Club, Rich Eisen came out and did his introduction. It's like, hey, everybody sit down, okay? <laughs> uh, nobody sat down. Wilders comes out, starts doing his comedy shtick, Complete silence. Everybody sits down to pay attention. That man commanded the respect of the room. Wow. Well, did did Arnold uh, actually uh, take the stage or the microphone at any point? Yes, he was our keynote speaker. In fact, he really? came up. But yep, he came up at the very end and did a good ten to fifteen minutes at the end. 
and he killed. He was great. He, he, you know, he's leaving office. He might as well start thinking about being a stand-up comedian. In fact, one of his jokes really? was... Really? Yeah, he was terrific. In fact, I told him afterwards, he congratulated, you know, since I was the nominal uh, producer and director of the show, uh, he congratulated me afterwards. And both he and Maria said, and hands down seriously, that our show was far superior than uh, the Washington Gridiron event that they had attended last year. They said it was far funnier with all sincerity. And afterwards, when he was congratulating me, I looked at him and I said, you know what? I think your stuff, your material might have been even funnier than ours. He said that even though he was 62, he could still uh, lift 350 pounds. Mm -hmm. And he says, you want to know how I know that? He says, well, I saw Dan Walters sitting down in his chair and I reached (laughs) over and I lift him up. For those of you who don't know, Dan Walters is a columnist. uh, A rather portly columnist. A portly columnist for the Sacramento Bee, which which is very funny because the entire time we were creating the show, we were told to, we could singe but not burn. In other words, (laughs) we could make fun of people, but you didn't want to, you know, burn down the house. And uh, so that's exactly what he did. I mean, the things that we were not allowed to do, which was right. really get personal, right. were the, exactly the kind of things that he did in his 10 minutes. But he was very, very funny. You guys had some other twists besides the, the one in D.C. There was an added format you were doing as well, something else? When we sat down, the writers sat down in the room, the one thing I said as the producer of the show was we had to have a spine something that ran through the show so we pretty quickly and humorously came up with a telethon for california so we're going to raise money to pay off the state's budget deficit and so we auctioned off different parts of the state so the city of bell became a city of (laughs) taco bell uh next they bought they bought bell to use for their promotion yes you can next year you'll be able to climb the crystal dairy half and half dome Uh, you can travel to the Napa Auto Parts Valley. Is this where John Alston got involved? Was he doing the Jerry Lewis role in this? Yes, John Alston was terrific. Former Channel 3 co-anchor with Edie Lambert, who also made a special appearance. And yes, he was a low-rent Jerry Lewis. In fact, at one point, Abel Maldonado gets up there and says, yes, every part of the state is up for sale. And John Alston says, well, nobody knows that better than our lobbyists. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to bring John on the show. We've been talking to him for months, uh, thanks to your good good graces. Uh, a funny guy and uh, and done a lot of comedy stuff. He needs to probably find his way onto Radio Parallax. John was perfect for that role. Not only was he one of the co-writers, but he is an actor, and he is obviously intimately involved in politics since he's involved uh, with Channel 3 for so long. But most important, he studied improvisation with Second City down in Los Angeles. So he was perfect. Arnold told him afterwards he was fantastic and <laughs> meant it and got kudos from everyone. He was he was perfect for the role and did a great job. Well, are you going to do this again next year? Rich talked to me afterwards and I about doing it next year, and I suggested that he do two things. Consult his psychiatric bills of the past few months, as well as his journal before he made any commitments to doing this again next year, because it was a challenge for everybody involved. And it was hair-raising, difficult, challenging. We all work for free. We all work tremendous number of hours. But my sense is, yes, we're going to do it again next year. Well, you know, you can uh, come and talk to us about it before you do, and we'll do what we can to get the word out. Sounds great. All right, Matt, you'll have to come back in 2011. I know that you're, as a film buff, uh, we talked about having you discuss the death of Arthur Penn and some other movie notables, probably Tony Curtis and the like. And so uh, next year, come back and we'll kick those around. 
I would like to talk about Arthur Penn for two reasons. He made this great existentialist film called Mickey One, starring Warren Beatty, which is a must-see. And of course, Bonnie and Clyde, the famous shootout scene at the end. But also something, I heard an interview with him, uh, with Terry Gross recently, and he lamented, of all things, the loss of the romance picture. And so it was interesting for somebody who is always named in the same sentence with screen violence and uh, popularizing that in the late 60s. Interesting that he had talked about the, the loss of the, you know, beautiful romance film and the subtlety in movies. And uh, so, um, yeah, fascinating guy, definitely. Well, we'll talk about him in 2011. You'll have to tune in for that. Matt, thanks for coming back, and we'll be talking again. Thank you very much. And speaking of Mr. Will Durst, as we were a moment ago, let's hear what Will has to say about uh, this time of year. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with the top 10 comedic news stories of the first decade of the 21st century. I know, I know. Another top 10 list? Yes, another top 10 list. Hey, how many ends of the decade do you get in a lifetime? Maybe 7, 8, 14 if you're lucky? So deal with it, because here it comes, a list of the top 10 comedic news stories of the first decade of the 21st century. Number 10, Carrie Edwards, 04. Worst campaign ever. And that includes France in 39. Who would have thought Democrats would fondly reminisce about the charismatic Gore-Lieberman ticket? Number nine, the Clintons. Still relevant. He got $12 million for his memoir. She got eight for hers. Not bad for two people who for eight years continually testified under oath they couldn't remember a single thing. Number eight, all the financial scandals, mostly Enron. Summed up best by the Enron Ethics Manual, sold on eBay for $250, whose seller described it as being in mint condition. Yeah, that could have been the problem. Number seven, John McCain. Old warhorse finally gets his shot. Then, couldn't remember how many houses he owned. Turned out he had eight. <laughs> Should do what I do. Every time I get four houses, I trade them in for a hotel. Number six. All the political sex scandals. Vitter, Foley, Edward, Sanford, and Spitzer. The New York governor who flew a hooker from New York to D.C. Because God knows there aren't enough hookers in D.C. 535 that I can think of offhand. Then he put her up at the Mayflower and gave her four grand. Now that's a liberal. Because a conservative will try to get for free at an airport men's room stall. Number five. Barack Obama. 44th president of the United States and half black because America's only Afro-curious. People still freaking out. Born in Kenya. No, he wasn't. He was born in Honolulu in a manger. Number four, weapons of mass destruction. President Bush said he was misled into thinking Iraq had WMDs because he was provided with faulty intelligence. Yeah, DNA is a bitch. Number three, Dick Cheney. Accidentally shot a guy in the face with a gun, then got the victim to apologize. Who amongst us hasn't mistaken a 78-year-old lawyer wearing an orange vest for a six-foot quail? Number two, Sarah Palin. For those of us going cold turkey and George Bush, she's like a double dose of methadone. And the number one comedic news story of the first decade of the 20th century has to be George W. Bush. Like if Reagan and Quayle had a kid, a Wheel of Fortune president in a Jeopardy world. For eight wonderful years, he was single-handedly the Full Employment Act for political comedy.
For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Will. Let's take a short break. we got plenty more uh, from some old friends and new in segments two and three. Do not go away. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 